Well, thanks so much for being here this morning. You know, we live in a world that loves to draw lines and make distinctions, and oftentimes we try to create, whether consciously or subconsciously, social distance from people because we like our freedom and we want our autonomy. That's something that we desire. And I'm concerned at times that instead of our lives smelling of the sweet aroma of Christ and the gospel that he came to bring to people many times because of how we draw lines and the barriers that we create, that our lives are filled more with selfishness, laziness, and pride. Today's message is a message for those that eat and that love Jesus and want to see him use their lives and the lives of other people to draw them closer and to experience the sweet aroma of Christ's unending love for them. And for us today to look at the tools that God has given us, that really they're much simpler than maybe we've been conditioned to think, that the tools that he's given us are allowing us to gather around the table, that he's created us to have a hunger for physical food, to desire relationship, to want to come around the table and experience love, and that that tool goes a long way beyond just ingesting calories for nourishment to sustain our bodies, but that he means to nourish our life and wants to use our life to extend God's kingdom. What an amazing thing to consider. We've been given 21 meals a week, and God has put those in our hands as a tool of love and a weapon of hope, if you will. I love how Pastor John Tyson says that Jesus used food as a weapon of love for the kingdom of God. Incredible thing to consider. That sharing in a meal, that coming together, bringing people around the table would draw us into the love of the Savior. And a friend of mine in another part of the world said, you know, one of the first things we see that, of when we know somebody's a follower of Jesus is that they want to share what they have with other people that they want to be hospitable and extend what they've been given into the lives of other people. He said that's a key marker that we see in people when they've come to faith in Christ. They just begin to do that, and that God means for us to be able to do that. And my prayer for you this week has been that you would understand just very simply that God has given you a tool to use and that you would begin to see how you can use that more and more. We've been in a series called The Habits of Making Jesus Known, and we've been walking through an acronym called BELLS that we started last week. And so uh, this is taken from Michael Frost's book, Surprise the World. And so each week we're preaching, most importantly, through a specific passage of Scripture, but we're also tracking along with this acronym. And so many of you have... um, begun reading that book, Surprise the World, and we last week saw Bless, today we're headed into Eat, and then in the coming weeks we're going to see Listen, how do we listen to the Holy Spirit in our life, learning Christ, and not just learning facts about this historical person, Jesus, but really taking on his life, and then learning how to live a sent life. And so the idea is that these things would be habits for us, not just ideas that we say, that is fantastic, I love that principle, but really that we would embed that into our life, that it would become a part of the fabric of who we are. That's what we're asking God to do in our midst, that these would be habits for us. And so last week, as Pastor Paul went through bless, um, the next day I talked to a buddy of mine, and he has been eating on the keto diet. And this, this idea of bless just came out in his life. And so he's been going to this one restaurant in his town that, that serves a keto burger. And he doesn't know what else to eat, so he's just like keto burger all the time. And he begins to make friends with the guy at the counter. And the guy, as they're sharing their life, said, I'm totally freaked out. My wife and I are about to have a baby. We've never had a baby before. And I'm panicked. And he just, like, opened up and shared that with him. And so my buddy and his wife bought a gift card for them, uh, filled out a card for them, wrote scriptures to them, and left that there for him. The next time he showed up, 
uh, the guy said, I knew it was you. I, w- I didn't know who Mike was, but I knew it was you as soon as I got the card. And that's the kind of pathway that God means for us to use as we bless people. We saw that last week. In the same way, we're looking to the Lord today and throughout this week as we begin to make a habit of eating with people. 21 meals a week, can we give three of those away? And can at least one of those be with somebody that doesn't know the Lord, that isn't a follower of Christ? So as we jump in today, the title of our message is to eat like Jesus. And as a huge fan of eating, I just love this passage that we're headed into. If you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 5, verses 27 through 32. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, I invite you to grab the hardback black one in the seat back in front of you there. Page uh, 861 will be on. And then if you're a technology person, uh, we'd love for you to use the app. You can just hit media, sermon notes, and then today's date. It'll prompt you through, and you can interact with the message and take notes in there as well. So let me read this passage to us, and then we'll jump in. The overarching in your Bible, it might have a um, header over it that is, says, Jesus calls Levi. So that's where we're headed in verse 27. After this, he, being Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is God's word to us today. And since we're parachuting into a passage here, I want to catch, catch us up here with a little bit of a context of where we are. And we're landing in the middle of what many scholars call the conflict stories of Jesus and the Pharisees. And so Christ is um, provoking them and helping them seek, to, he's seeking to help them see the heart of the matter and not just the external rules. And so Luke gives us five examples of these conflict stories where Jesus is provoking the religious people, the Pharisees of the day. And he's seeking to draw them into the heart of things. And so many questions they're asking. In the preceding verses, they're saying, hey, why are you healing on the Sabbath? And then after our passage today, the next one is, hey, why are you and your disciples not fasting? What's the deal? They're just really looking at externals, and they can't figure that out. And he's trying to draw them back in. And I would just encourage you to listen as we go through this at how Christ pulls them back in to the heart. Another important thing to note here real quickly, just for context, is that most scholars believe that Matthew, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's who's uh, being talked about here. Some think that he had two names, Matthew, Levi, and so Matthew, um, God inspired him to write the, the gospel of Matthew, but then in the other gospels he's referred to in Mark 2 as Levi, and then in our passage here today as Levi. So little context for you there. As we jump in, we're going to refer to him as Levi as we go through. So now that we're caught up, Let's enter into what I believe the Lord has for us to see. And the first thing in verses 27 and 28 that we see is that Jesus calls us wherever we are. And some of you might be here today frustrated with where you are, confused over what you're doing. And I just want to encourage you that Jesus knows you, he sees you, and that he's calling you to something higher than you understand. And so just lean in today and listen for the way that Christ is drawing you in in this passage. It's that Jesus calls us wherever we are. And as we see in verses 27 and 28, it says, And this, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. Levi was a guy that most people didn't want to spend time with. He had two 
significant marks against him. One, he was a tax collector. And so um, not a lot of people wanted to see him when they did see him because they knew why he was there. And then secondly, um, and really importantly, he was seen as a traitor because as a tax collector, he was keeping some money for himself, but then he was feeding what, much of what he was getting up to the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people would have really not wanted to be around a guy like Levi. And so it's important for us to see that. For Christ to enter in and come near to him, he's crossing so many barriers. He's crossing over a lot of cultural barriers. And out of that, eyebrows were being raised, heads were being turned, senses were being provoked that Christ was coming and doing something that didn't fit the grid for those Pharisees. One commentator says of this passage, of all the publicans that were there, he singled out Levi and directed his discourse to him and called him to be a follower of him, an instance of powerful, special, and distinguishing grace. So awesome. God calls him out. Christ called him out. And it's important for us to note Levi's response out of this too. So Jesus says, follow me, and he rises and he goes. That his response was total and complete. And maybe the Lord's provoked your heart to something right now, and you've been wrestling with things over the last few days or weeks, or there's something present in your mind that you're just saying, Lord, I don't, are you calling me to something? Is there something there? And I just would encourage you that our response to the Lord, when the Lord Jesus comes, if he really is Lord of our life, our response ought to be total and complete. When Jesus calls the disciples, I love it in Mark 1, 17, when he said, come follow me. So he's inviting them into a relationship that they would walk together, that they would learn of Christ and be with him, that there was an association and great friendship there. But then he also said, hey, and I'm going to make you fishers of men, that you are going to have a mission and we're going to live that out together, that Jesus calls us wherever we are. The next thing that I want to point out to us is that Jesus identifies with us. What a beautiful picture that he isn't keeping distance from us, but he's drawing close to us, that Jesus identifies with us. And we see that in verse 29, that as Levi hosts a feast of his friends, it says, and Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Levi puts out a big feast, and he doesn't shield Jesus from his typical subset of friends, which I love that. He just felt comfortable. Sometimes we would go, well, my happy hour friends, I don't know if I'm going to invite them, but my coffee friends, they're already tired by 7 p.m. I'll invite them. No, he includes everybody in his life. We, we tend to make categories, and Levi didn't feel like he needed to clean himself up for Christ, which is an amazing thing. The fact that a feast was evident, evident was the, that they were reclining at table, and so think large gathering of people. And it was a slow process. Meals really meant that I'm sitting down, I'm seeking friendship, that there's going to be an association that I have with you, and that they were going to spend an extended amount of time together. Friendship and acceptance was being experienced, and Christ is directly and exactly where he wants to be with these people, and I love that, that he draws close. Another commentator of this passage says, many people think one must choose absolute separation if one is to remain pure. But for Jesus, this is a false choice. Jesus views people in terms of what God could make them into, not just pigeonholing them into who they currently are. There are no compromises with holiness in his relationship with sinners because one of the very characteristics of God's holiness is that he reaches out to those with mercy to the ones that are in need. And I love this. God graciously takes the sinner who is responsive to him and begins to bring about a work of transformation in our life. In just about every culture, when you gather around the table, you're saying, I'm accepting you. 
And that's what was taking place for both of them, that Levi would extend that invite to Jesus, and then for him to take it and draw close to him was a very significant thing. And lines were being crossed, and the overlapping of lives was really confusing to them because most people just stayed in their little social groups. And so when Jesus crosses those lines, he's erasing the lines that have been made by man and coming and being close with Levi and his friends. So that was them. And what about us now? I just would ask you to consider what are places in your heart or in your life that you've drawn lines on who you associate with that God would have never intended you to draw? Have you drawn lines or held people at a distance in a way that God would never have intended to you? Something to consider. Jesus came close. He identifies himself with us. The next principle that we see is that Jesus came eating and drinking. And in Luke 7, a couple chapters later, in verse 34, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And we know that in the New Testament, there's three things that use the phrase, the Son of Man came to. One is to seek and save the lost in Luke 19.10. Another one is to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10.45. And then in, in this verse today, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And it's an incredible thing to see in the Gospel of Luke alone. I just want to walk us through this passage here or through the the whole book of Luke, to see places that Christ has eaten. And so Luke 5, where we are today, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. In Luke 7, I'd encourage you, by the way, to jot these down if you want to look at them later. Just all the ways that Jesus used food as his mode of ministry. He ate in the home of Simon the Pharisee, that he fed the 5,000. That Jesus eats in the home of Mary and Martha, an amazing story. Luke 11, that Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. And then in Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal where he urges people to invite the poor to to their meals rather than just their friends. In Luke 19, Jesus invites Zacchaeus, or he invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. And I'm thinking, even though he was a wee little man, he could pack away the hummus and the lamb shanks, Zacchaeus maybe. Just put that on the table for you today. Um, Luke 22, we have an account of the Last Supper. And then in Luke 24, the risen Christ has a meal with the other two disciples in Emmaus and then later eats with them in Jerusalem. And just an incredible amount of places that Christ is eating and uses that as his means of ministry. It's been said that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. All over the gospels, he uses it as his means of ministry. Think about the tools or the gifts that we've been given. I was just considering some this week and thinking about music and someone that's spanned a lot of generations is Frank Sinatra, that God gifted him with an amazing voice, whether he knew that or not, that he had been gifted with that. If you think about Michael Jordan, maybe the greatest of all time, we can argue that after the service, Um, but he was given an amazing gift, and his uh, fadeaway jump shot, just unstoppable. You can't guard it. He's going to score on you every time. An amazing gift that's been given. Einstein was given genius way beyond his peers. And for Christ, he uses meals. And what strikes me as something so beautiful is that that tool that Christ used fits perfectly in the hands of us that would be his followers, to be able to use that as a way of extending his love to other people. So I would ask you, how do you go about deepening relationships for you to consider that? Have you thought about the power of connecting over meals, and have you considered that you could actually use that to expand God's kingdom, that you don't have to be somebody that you're not, but that you can just enter in and invite people into something over a meal? Another piece that we see is that Jesus breaks our paradigms, and I love how Christ just routinely messed with religious people 
and he's just constantly pushing back, seeking to get to the heart of the matter, bringing people past their rigid rules, and he breaks paradigms. So verse 30, he's being asked, why do you eat with these people? And it says here in verse 30, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So the religious people of the day were super bothered by how Christ was associating himself in an extended way with those that they deemed as sinners. And in the Greek, it's important to note that this word here is an active verb in the sense that it was a continual thing. And so it wasn't them saying, hey, Christ, um, you know, we know that you three years ago, you had that meal with them, but you probably didn't know what you were doing, and that's where we'll forgive that. But no, they were saying, hey, this is a continual thing. Why are you constantly doing that? It was bothering them. It really stuck with them. And they wanted people to follow their religious laws, both written and unwritten, and they were seeking for external compliance. And so many times that was what Christ was criticized for, that, that he wasn't more rigid on matters of external compliance and how things looked. And what Jesus was revealing for them and for us is that a person isn't unclean because they aren't a rule follower. They're unclean because they haven't received what Christ did for them. And he came and drew close to them so they could experience that. He was changing the game and helping them to see that those are two things entirely different from one another. And so many times, I think, in the church in the West, we tend towards two polar opposite things, and we, string, we swing to extremes, that there's an external orientation where it's legalistic in the sense that we're requiring more of people than what God is requiring, and we want to be kept away to ourselves, and we create a Christian genre of everything so that we can be totally separated, and we miss the heart of what Christ has for us there. So that's external orientation. The other one, swinging the pendulum to the other side, would be a self-orientation or a lawlessness. And oftentimes that's just people responding to what they feel like they've seen. That's just a bunch of moral conformity being put on them, and they don't see the life of Christ in that, so they swing all the way over to the other side, and they miss Christ in that as well. Many people have walked away from the church primarily because they're pushing away from what they see as just rules and ritual without meaning and heart to it. And a great question for us to consider in the passage here today is what kind of God would associate with outcasts, the unclean, and rejects? The Pharisees really believed that Christ had come to see them. Come see how good I am, Jesus. Look at how perfect I am in keeping the law. And Christ said, that's not why I came. I came for something else. Are there a Are there patterns in your life of the way that you do relationships or the rhythm of your life that you live that the Lord would want you to change? Is there anything in terms of how you relate to people or the rhythm of your life that God would call you to change? I would ask you that. As we turn the corner to wrap up, we just want to see lastly here of why Jesus came, that he pursues the sick and the sinners. And what a great great news that is for us today, that we need that. And it says that Jesus, with his bold answer of why he came in verse 31 and 32, he answered them, those that are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm so grateful that Christ didn't quarantine himself off from me, that in my brokenness and sin that he came for me and that he drew close to me and that he had a purpose for me, and he does for you as well, that he drew close to you, that he's drawing close to you now, and perhaps you need to respond to that today in a way that you never have before, that he loves you and wants to be near you. 
Some scholars believe that this last part of Jesus saying that I didn't come to call the righteous, that Christ was biting back at them with sarcasm, that I didn't come for the righteous, but I came to save these that would respond in repentance. And the call has always been for repentance. It's not for moral conformity. And if we, I've spent a lot of time, I've had numerous people say to me, you know, I want to raise my kids in the church because I don't want them to go that way. I want them to have a good moral compass. And I understand that the heart behind that is, is good and that they want to see something, but they're not even coming halfway towards Christ in that because true repentance is t- turning from our sin towards Christ. And if all we give people is moral conformity, and we want to bring them into something that will make them a little bit more moral and have a little more of a compass, we're not giving them true life in that. We're not giving them Jesus in that. And so the call for repentance in the New Testament is a change of mind. In the Old Testament, it's described as a change of action. And both are needed for true biblical repentance, that we turn from our sin and turn, turn towards Christ. And he's lovingly and gently and powerfully calling us into that if we would hear him. He didn't come for those that are clean, that are fixed, and perfect, but he came for those that are sick and needed his help to give us something better, that he'd give us life. And at the outset of this passage, as he's calling Levi, Christ is calling him, then he calls us now, have you responded to that call? Initially by putting your faith in Christ, and then even more deeply as he continues to call you into other things as well with the way that he's made you to live out your life. And it doesn't, here's the thing, it doesn't stop with just us me and Jesus, you know, having our relationship, but that he means for us to bring that to other people. And that he wants us to use meals in a way that plays a huge role in that, that those far from God would experience relationship. That he's a friend of sinners. We say that flippantly, and if you've grown up in the church, you've heard that a lot of times, but he's not just around people accepting them at a surface level or being tolerant of them, but he's friends with them. And I get really concerned about the tolerance conversation that we have in our culture continually because it ends up with groups of people that never draw close to each other and never experience anything more than just putting a fence around themselves. And tolerance is not going to get us there. And I love that Christ stepped over and just drew close to them, that he doesn't have to either, as some have said, that he doesn't have to 100% condone what they're doing And he's not condemning what they're doing, but he's just simply stepping forward to have a meal with them. And I wonder if we could do that. Instead of seeing people for the lifestyle choice that they've made or the political party that they're a part of or the different things that they are holding close to, instead of seeing people as labels, that we'd see them as made in the image of God and step close to them as human beings. It's an incredible opportunity, and I just love that Christ did that for us. All of us, for those that are followers of Jesus, have experienced that, that he didn't judge us, that he drew close to us. As simply as, hey, we're having barbecue tonight. Would you like to come over? I'm from Texas, so barbecue is always like kind of right here for me. Um, Taco Tuesday. Or, hey, we just worked out at the Williston. Why don't we go to People's Organic for a $14 bowl of oatmeal or whatever. The thing is that we would enter in and just invite people into a relationship. And that we would just be present with them. I think we get so locked up in our heads as Christians, uh, around the idea of sharing our faith, I really believe we'd share our faith a lot more if we just simply made an invite. Because so many times we play out, well, if I say this, then they're going to say this back, and then I'm, I'm not going to know what to respond to with. And I just would encourage you that Jesus drew close, 
and that if we invite people into a relationship, what they need to know is that we're present there and with them. They don't need a carefully crafted answer. So I don't know is a perfectly appropriate answer if they already are experiencing the fact that you're interested in them, that you're relating to them as another human being made in the image of God. So can we step forward and not get stuck in our head of what would I say, but simply say what invites can I make? As we head into the fall and you think about going into the holiday time as well, are there people in your life that, even as I've been talking today, or perhaps uh, family members that you've been estranged with for a long time, or friends that you're disconnected to, has the Lord been prompting you, whether today or in the last weeks or months, somebody just keeps coming to heart and mind for you, is there an invite to coffee or to a meal that you need to make to include more people throughout the holidays and wherever the Lord would have you? That we can modify the way we do hospitality and raise the bar to kingdom level hospitality, extending the love that Christ has, that you and I get the joy and God gets the glory for that as we extend a meal with Jesus in relationship with us. So just really practically as we close, I just would, as I visited with several people this week and talking about what I was preaching on today, they said, you know, if something doesn't make my calendar, it doesn't make it into my life. And so as we're talking about habits, as you sit down to, to make your calendar for the next week or month or however you do that in whatever context that is, if it's with your spouse or with your friends or if you include your kids in that, to say, hey, who are we going to bless today? Who are we going to bless this week and who can we invite over for meals? Who do you think doesn't know Christ that we could join together for a meal with? I just would encourage you to, to put that into practice and really, if you're going to make it a habit, if we're going to live this out as a church community, that we bless people, put it on our calendar, figure out how to do it, and that we eat with people and embed that in our calendar as well. So I just would invite you to bow your heads and consider what the Lord might be saying to you. What meals, if you've been given 21, some of us more, throughout the week, what meals is God calling us to give away in Jesus' name? So just sit quietly for a minute, and then I'll close this in prayer in just a second. God, we want to be used by you, and it's an amazing thing to even just consider that you would use us, that we could be instruments in your hands, and that you've given us a pathway that's really, really simple to engage with people. And I, I pray, Lord, that oftentimes we just get tuned out on the needs around us because we're not fully connected to how much we need your grace and mercy every day. And so, We lean into you and ask for your help. And Lord, I pray that you really would surprise us and amaze us with the work that you do in our community. We want to make Jesus known in the community, and we just want to be intentional about it. We don't want to talk about it. We want to do it. So help these habits to be true of us. And Lord, I just pray for a tornado of invites to go out this week, that we'd be able to bless the Western Metro in the spheres of influence that you've given us. And so use us, Lord. And draw our hearts close to you that we could walk in and experience the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name.